This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Overwhelmingly, the organizations we surveyed have some sort of formal service line structure or designation in place, 90% plus. And not surprisingly, the most common service lines included cardiovascular services, oncology, orthopedics, and neurosciences. We knew that figure would be high, but we were a little bit surprised about how high it was. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. I have two colleagues joining me today to talk about the latest installment of our very popular and successful strategy exchange sessions. Our most recent session focused on service line structures, service line organization, and how that impacts the planning team process implementation. Janelle Kwan, who leads the strategy exchange with myself and Jennifer O'Connor, join us. And then we asked Corey Jones, who leads our cancer and orthopedic service lines and has worked as a service line leader for a major health system. Not only did he help us with this exchange, we also wanted him to bring some of his historic perspective, and he talks to service line leaders more than Janelle and I do. Corey and Janelle, thank you both so much for joining. Let's start with what did you hear? What did you learn about how teams are organizing around service lines? Janelle, we always do a survey first. Did we learn something in the survey? Overall, we heard overwhelmingly the organizations we surveyed have some sort of formal service line structure or designation in place, 90% plus. And not surprisingly, the most common service lines included cardiovascular services, oncology, orthopedics, and neurosciences. We knew that figure would be high, but we were a little bit surprised about how high it was. And we were lucky enough in our conversations to actually get to talk to a few members early in that journey. They were in the process of transitioning to service lines or was on the table for consideration. Some of the impetus to that is they felt like ultimately it could be a way to kind of differentiate themselves, their clinical offerings, but they also felt like it would create some clarity around roles and responsibilities, and that would lead to a path for smoother and quicker execution. We also talked to orgs about how does that leadership structure work. For a long time now, the common trend has been a dyad leadership structure pairing a designated clinical leader with an administrative leader. That trend held. That's probably a good way to ask you, Corey. I think you have personal experience. You're on the ground all the time with service lines. Why has that model continued to be popular for organizations going through this process? What have been some of the benefits or would you say things to keep in mind as you design your leadership structure? Yeah, thanks, Janelle. The importance here is that we know the value of a dyad and even a triad relationship that exists out there as well is really the combination of clinical and administrative insights and perspectives that are coming together. From a lot of my experience and in conversations with programs, they're standing these up or have these structures. The key for these successful partnerships, which really they are, is how they balance each other's skill sets and understand how to best complement one another. They're able to create this dynamic. It really portrays the opportunities that these structures have to support service line work. The important part of all of this is that clarity of roles and levels of accountability are a few of the starting points amongst these relationships. But most importantly, establishing a shared vision for how to guide and drive the service line work will strengthen the collaboration amongst these dyad relationships or triad relationships. The triad being physician, administrative, and nursing is typically the triad scenarios in this regard. Having that clarity about what the administrative work looks like how the clinical aspects of integrating administrative and clinical components and how they put these together is such an important part of these relationships, especially from the successes that we're hearing from programs. 
Corey, do you have a story from your experience in that or a time where you could tell it wasn't aligned maybe? I do actually. Through my experiences of joining a couple different organizations and these relationships, I've had both the successes and ones that have taken a little bit more steps in really understanding where the clinical roles and responsibilities of the physician leader is such a critical part than how you share your administrative responsibilities and how we step into supporting decision making, specifically around not just clinical, but operational or program development priorities. Coming together and understanding where each one has that perspective of where their roles are was a learning experience for me. And I think amongst leaders, the ones that have been very successful are the ones that have played out, are the ones that have been able to find those paths and roles and lanes effectively. And it takes some time, but also trust and respect. My experience has been that you can either dive in really aggressively and say, this is my lane, or you can work and mold it together. And those have been the most successful ones from my experience, but also the ones where other programs have been successful. In the survey, we did not see a lot of organizations saying they had that triad model, but it did come up in a number of organizations trying to figure out how they can better integrate the voice of nursing and nursing leadership as part of that conversation. It remains to be seen whether that will morph into a triad, but there was recognition that the voices of nurses have to be heard and that they have a special role, things like consensus building and their ability to really have an understanding of what's happening across units in the system were things that service line leaders were really looking to figure out how they could integrate. I had a group of academic medical centers, and they almost all have triad leadership structures. They agreed that even though their service lines were organized at a system level, they hadn't quite gotten to a level where prioritization was happening at that system level. It was usually more subject to either hospital or other ad hoc needs or syncing up with capital planning. So that's where I want to go next. What did you hear about prioritization challenges? I heard some interesting pieces from my team. Again, it was all academics. They talked about a piece of it is about market potential balanced with the ability of the local teams to implement. That was really interesting that they could make a decision about priorities based on the local team's ability, they thought, to implement and be successful on those initiatives. The other balance that I heard from a different organization was hospital-level commitments versus the commitments to those who took over leadership responsibilities for the service line. They were usually talking about clinical leaders, whether there's an area of academics, so it's research focus or subspecialization that they knew was going to be a focus for that leader versus commitments made at the hospital level around capital, infrastructure improvements, et cetera. Those were two good balance pieces around prioritization that they admitted they can put every prioritization framework structure in place they want at the system level from a planning perspective. They really appreciated that they talked about those hurdles as well. Janelle, what did you hear? I think it echoed some of those what I heard in my conversation. Numbers still felt like they didn't really even have any sort of system in place, that it was still ad hoc, for lack of better description, came in webs and cycles when a particular project or initiative. There were some that were in the beginning phases of establishing a criteria, but never the point of trying to get uniformity and agreement on what that criteria could look like. The punchline I walked away from is that there were a whole slew of different solutions people were trying to get at prioritization. No one has found the right answer, and I think it'll continue to be iterative as they try to right-size that. We all knew there isn't a silver bullet, but Corey, are there any bright spots, specific initiatives or examples that maybe we may be seeing some momentum from health systems? 
there's like three major buckets of opportunities for service line work in really the direction. And we know that program development or strategy around growth is clearly an opportunity and it varies across different service line organizations of what that looks like in that realm. Operational components and capital expenditures and how they're involved in those discussions as well. The other aspect is the clinical side and really the clinical opportunities of quality improvement, clinical delivery, best practice scenarios, those types of focus areas. When I think about some of the bright spots from a service line work, we know clinical quality and clinical opportunities to engage and integrate collaborative efforts around multidisciplinary teams. And coming from the cancer world, it's such a critical part to integrate and collaborate amongst the various different specialties, ensuring the type of care that's being provided to patients is a major bright spot, especially from my experience where you're able to engage a large community around what best practices look like from standardization of clinical pathways or standards of care, care coordination, what resources and how that works from a protocol or a guideline standpoint. The successes that we've seen in that regard, even though they are small in the beginning and they grow from there, is a great success of service line work, specifically when you start to think about how to integrate the delivery of care amongst different types of moving pieces. I've seen those successes build on the other opportunities of the other buckets because you start to build those relationships more and more in that regard with the ultimate opportunity of improving the care for the patient and the consumer as you may want to see it. The bright spots are really in those areas, most and foremost. And from my experience of different organizations, sometimes the clinical becomes the number one priority for service line work, and then the other ones fall in the, a line, and it's been reversed on the other side of that. I like that, Corey. Such great examples. The only thing you didn't touch on that I also heard from my group was around incentives, where incentives for the service line leadership team are going to be focused within that service line often. Maybe you'll tell me that you experienced different. This was just my small group's discussion. And then just balancing that in opposition to hospital teams that may be incented on hospital-specific volumes or initiatives as organizations get bigger and more complex, that matrix gets more complex, which leads me to my next thought around systemness and service distribution and how that plays out at the service line level because many, many systems are rolling up their sleeves in a more serious way than they have before around the need for service distribution and that now maybe gives them cover for some of the tough political discussions that comes with that. I wanted to hear how those initiatives conversations were playing out at the service line level. And what I really heard was they're not quite there yet or the system level planning team wasn't really the driver of many of those conversations. Conversations. I heard that it often is driven by like an innovation team or teams that are focused on those teams can have many different names, but the gist is bringing together the disparate organization and then balancing that with the fact that every operator, whether it's at a hospital or a service line level or an ASC or a different practice or clinic, their top priority is never going to be implementing some new system level project. And that's probably how it should be. They're always going to be focused on today, immediate roadblocks and problems, patient safety, keeping the lights on. Those two forces still felt like that was the role system strategy could play, greasing those treads a little bit. Did you guys hear anything similar or different? All in my group, everyone acknowledged and it had been come into discussions. A few had moved. Interestingly enough, we talked with one smaller system that said that they were actually approaching it with multiple service lines. They characterize as boiling the ocean in the good way. In the context of they acknowledged the work is difficult itself. There are political landmines, it requires rethinking services and offerings, but they felt like they had one shot to do it and to do it right. And trying with multiple service lines could be an opportunity to do that. We've been hearing 
having some discussions in oncology as a space where some organizations have started to tackle the work of service distribution. Did I hear that correctly or are there any good examples to share there? Yeah, in the group with our discussion, it honed in around what does decentralization, centralization of certain subspecialty expertise look like, especially in the cancer. It's always been what services do we need to provide in different parts of the markets and still help support those local dynamics. So there was a lot of conversation continues to be around what services make sense across our typical systems of care methodology and what that may look like. And now that we have the emergence or acceleration of what care in the home looks like, another added piece to the conversation. But clearly the service line work, as well as just the discussions that we had, have been around where does this expertise make sense to put? Given the financial constraints, capacity issues, it differs across the country. In fact, we were on call the other day about capacity challenges. When you start to think of a very large hub of services, they can't really adapt to the need from a capacity standpoint. So now do they start to redistribute that back out into the community in a different way, if it's infusion services, for example. We then turn around and go to a different market and they're saying, we need to bring it back into the more hub scenario and can't support the distribution of these services. So the service line work and the activities in this discussion continue to play out as it varies across the country. The opportunity to understand how to strengthen services for patients in different locations, as well as help the local operators understand how they can meet their incentivized goals as well are playing into this. That's good. My only concluding thought that we didn't touch on so far was how much this particular exchange discussion highlighted that our strategy leaders, and I could really see it in my group, how much this is one of the many, many areas where they have to have a soft touch. They're not really the drivers of service line level planning or execution. They're an influencer, and it's not about the traditional planning, bringing the perfect data and analysis and planning rhythm to this. It was a lot more about relationships and influence and the complex dynamics they have to deal with from a system perspective. So I liked seeing our team really, I could see the wheels turning in all their heads, how they were going to unpack these problems. Janelle, any pieces we didn't touch on that you heard or that really stood out to you overall? something that came up in the conversations as a common thread. And we had a pretty wide swath of health systems from academic medical centers, community-based systems was trying to grapple this idea of size. How do we, as we get bigger, we see that in the service distribution conversation. We see in what you just reflected earlier around the soft touch and the communication lines. And it was reflected in a few ways. Some have adapted to it. We saw through the reporting structure, almost all the service lines report to some senior leader often a C-suite person or a service line executive council, but also their planning seemed to be more in this centralized regional approach. We talked with organizations, the most common model was at the system level that strategic planning for service lines and execution happens with systems having a really, not heavy hand, but active role in determining how we prioritize, including the role of things like service distribution. We saw some tackling this through maybe a more regionalized approach where individual service lines plan and the region helps right size that for their particular market. Lots of variety in there. Everyone trying to right size that. I I think it all signs point to trying to figure out what are ways either structurally or how we actually go about planning. Can we create some of those communication channels or coordination between individual hospitals and that larger system? That all hints back to what you're saying around the need for communication and relationship building being a key piece as we think about how we plan service lines for the future. 
one of the things that really resonated with me and as part of the exchange conversation as well as other conversations, even from my own experience, service line work, there's an opportunity to advocate and align for like a common vision. But the key to it is really to understand and adapt the various local and regional, even systemist dynamics that all organizations face. We've been talking quite a bit about that. And it creates an avenue and a platform through service line work to have those conversations regardless of the strategic or it's clinically involved. But those dynamics of relationships that occur from a service line standpoint to respect all of that is a pretty important part for this work. And from my experience, if they can create those relationships and understand those dynamics across the organization, there's means to prioritize where this work is going to play out and the scale of the opportunities in that place. That's what I heard a lot from the exchange as well as conversations with members and just my own personal experience. Really good thoughts from both of you. Thanks so much for sharing. I always like getting your perspective, but I especially like getting it through a podcast. So thanks for joining and look forward to having you both back on very soon. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes. And you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm -hmm.